live from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful sunny California, which is cold today. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Starr, along with Mr. Mike Barron, who's in the control room fighting with our printer, trying to get something off that he was researching. He should be in here in just a second. Anyway, we're known here as the Water Boys, but today it's our monthly ag show, and we have some great hosts uh, doing it from Toro's Micro-Irrigation Division, Miss Inge Bisconer and Mr. Paul McFadden. Hi, guys. Are you ready for the holidays on your show? Hi, Rob. How are you? I'm great. Hey, what's going on over there? It's- cold down here and i bet it's cold up there too it's cold i had to be in apple valley this morning early and it was like 28 degrees and windy yeah. <laughs> it was freezing <laughs> yeah actually i was over in indio today coming from over from san diego and it's cold and windy and the traffic is horrible so everybody's out and about doing holiday stuff getting ready i think uh or in the midst of it yep yeah it's a busy time of year but uh uh, happy winter to you all. That's right. Today's the official day. And I think, what is it, at 825 today in the morning? Yeah, like, yeah 838 this morning or something. Winter started. So uh, that's that's why it got cold last night, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys get all your Christmas shopping in? Well, just about done. Yeah, just absolutely. About done. Yeah. You know, there's always that thing, what do you want for Christmas and what do you need for Christmas? Oh, yeah. The wants and needs are definitely different. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I can't convince my wife of either one, but what the heck. <laughs> as long as she gets her gift, she's happy. Anyway, yeah. we'll turn it over to you. Like I said, Michael will be coming, coming in here from the other room in a few minutes because we like your guests that you got on, and they're interesting, and we certainly want to maybe chime in with one or two questions if we could. But anyway, we'll, we'll turn the show over to you guys. Great. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate it. We do have an exciting show today. Uh, we have uh, two guests that are, are in, the, in the water business uh, and having to, uh, making some pretty important decisions on how we fix this water problem. And, uh, that is the theme of our show today, the California uh, Water Fix. So our first guest is uh, Johnny Amarell. Johnny, are you there? Hello, Johnny. Yes, sir. Hey, this is uh, Paul and Inge. Welcome to the Water Zone. How are you guys? Thank you for having me. Very well. Thank you for doing it. Is it cold up where you're at in the Central Valley? It's uh, it's plenty cold. I got the wind machines for the citrus fields running every morning, so it's it's plenty cold. Excellent, excellent. Well, we appreciate you taking the time, your time, out of uh, obviously a busy holiday season to to participate in our program. And uh, if you like, uh, I'd like to just read your uh, uh, an introduction so our listening audience. not just around the uh, Los Angeles Basin, but uh, around the country and around the world, listening online, know uh, know a little bit of who you are and what your background is. Um, You're a San Joaquin Valley native uh, and currently the Deputy General Manager for the Westlands Water District, the largest irrigation district in the entire United States. Uh, Prior to coming to the Westlands, you were the Chief of Staff for Congressman Devin Nunes uh, from January 2003 to May of 2015 when you moved at that point uh, over to the, uh, to the Westland. Um, welcome, first of all, and it's uh, great to have you, like we said. Well, thank you for the nice introduction. It's tiring just listening to it, my gosh. <laughs> I, I appreciate being on the show, and sorry it's taken so long uh, to connect, but I'm, I'm glad to be on. Excellent. I don't know if congratulations or condolences are in order for you spending 12 years in politics, <laughs> but yeah. that's, pretty, that's pretty tough. Well, it, it, uh, it was an honor and a lot of fun, and, um, it, but it I was bet. a lot of work without question, and I spent a lot of time in Washington and, and of course, here in California. And, and, uh, and actually, fortunately actually, or unfortunately, I should say, uh, my new job here at Westlands is not, it's not that new. It's been a couple of years, but um, yeah, I've you know, got my my hands and feet into politics still because, um, like anything else, um, but maybe especially water is very political. It's 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 highly charged. Uh, it's very emo- It's a very emotional issue, and and to cut through all that sometimes uh, it's uh, it's challenging, but it's a lot of fun. Buddy, uh, in the in your bio, it, it mentions that you're a uh... San Joaquin Valley native. Could you maybe tell us a little bit more, tell our listening audience a little bit more about you and your background and how you ended up in the water business? 
Sure. I was uh, born and raised in the southern part of the San Joaquin Valley, which for your listeners in um, in uh, Southern California, if you ever drive north on I-5 over the grapevine and, and you drop into the valley, that's the beginning of the southern part of the San Joaquin Valley, which stretches from basically Kern County, which uh, the city center there is Bakersfield, um, all the way up to around the Sacramento area. It's uh, largely known as um, you know, without question, the, 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 the driving economic engine here is agriculture, um, and for a whole host of reasons, but mainly, just to put it very simply, we have perfect soil, we have the perfect weather to grow just about anything, and all it requires is water. And so if you can combine those three elements, uh, you have a perfect growing machine. And here in the Central Valley, like I said, in that region from Kern County North, it's, there's about 350 different crops that are grown here, the most efficient uh, grown crops in the world. In Westlands Water District alone, which is the west side of the Central Valley, um, Kings County and Fresno County, we grow about 60 crops um, in Westlands. And so it's very diverse, uh, but very efficient. Um, I've spent my whole professional career working um uh, on these issues because whether you're Republican or Democrat, it doesn't really matter. I mean, water, the water issue in this area is, in terms of level of importance, is one, two, three, four, and five. Um, without yeah, I mean, it, without yeah. it, things are very difficult. With it, things can uh, things work wonderfully. Yeah, we have that perfect weather and perfect soil, but uh, nothing grows without water. And uh, that's, that's right. Why Henry Miller would ride all night to post the signs on the trees and get this get his water rights because that makes the land valuable, right? <laughs> That's right. So, That's right. So, um, uh, Johnny, about almost two years ago, uh, you had an article printed in the Fresno Bee titled "Let's Work Together to Protect California Agriculture," and you you and your staff were quoted as saying, "Westland's family farmers have made huge investments to make their production more efficient and environmentally sensitive." much more than any other region in the world. In fact, many of the advances in irrigation technology and efficiency were born here. So I bet our listening audience would love to hear a little bit more about how your membership, how your farmers are using advanced irrigation technology. Okay. It's, um, in many ways, Westlands is misunderstood by by the public kind of outside of the Central Valley. Uh, But what I like to say is that Westlands Water District is, in terms of an ag service district is what I would consider the model uh, for what everyone should kind of try to strive to be in terms of efficiency. Um, About 94% of all of our lands are irrigated through some sort of highly efficient, highly technological drip or sprinkler irrigation. There's no flood irrigation in Westlands Water District. There's no exposed canals. All the water in Westlands is delivered to our landowners through underground pipe. Every drop is metered, so we know exactly how much each landowner or water user is using. Um, we are masters, are, are experts at, at the reuse of water, capturing of excess water, blending it with fresh water, and reusing that water on, on um, other crops. Um, we account for every drop. Um, and uh, and it's something that I think uh, that most districts should strive for uh, because it makes uh, makes your uh, your business practice more efficient. Um, and you know, it, the farming is obviously we're grow- we're growing food to feed the world, feed the state and the country and the world. But it is still a for profit enterprise too. It's uh, these farmers are in business, and so um, it it really lends itself. Um, uh, the, the efficiencies gained by, by having these types of technologies deployed um, are immense, and, uh, but it requires major investment and major risk-taking by our landowners uh, to get to this point. And, uh, and it's, it's really interesting when I take people on tours or, or uh, especially ground tours of the district, um, it takes usually about an hour or so before they kind of realize, hey, there's no ditches in Westlands. There's no exposed water in Westlands, and everything's um, uh, uh, un- delivered underground or by drip. It, 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 
people tend to have an epiphany after about an hour. They realize how different it is in Westlands, and what they're seeing, the epiphany they're having is about the efficiencies that they're no, that they're that are. It's very obvious when you spend some time in Westlands. So we're very proud so, of that. Um, that's really. But, I'm sorry, Johnny. Didn't mean to step on you there, but it's that's really uh, something I was not aware of. That that's really significant in. For, for those less familiar with uh, open water versus pipe, you don't have the evaporation or the runoff that you would uh, uh, out of a canal uh, or an open water conveyance system versus a pipeline. So that is a significant right. difference. And there's a lot of water districts in the state I know that that are still operating using canal systems and that aren't, are not pressurized. So that means they're not yeah. going through pipeline. It's just gravity fed. So. That is I mean, it's still the norm, Paul. I mean, it, it still is the norm. It's unusual um, in terms of uh, in ag irrigation districts to be to have water delivered this way. Uh, and I'm not saying one way is is right and one way is wrong. All I'm pointing out is is that um, because of you know water supply shortages and government or regulatory shortages that have been created by government law or action, uh, these are things that uh, over the course of time. Um, had to be done. Uh, we had to account for every drop, and um, and it, like I said before, it didn't come without risk or or a major investment. But but it's something at this point we're very very proud of. Well, you should be. I mean, to have ninety four percent of it, you know, in advanced technology is fantastic. And I think probably other water districts haven't done that. I mean, what you hear them say is that hey, we can't afford it, or hey, the flood irrigation is recharging the groundwater or is going to another grower so it's really not waste that's being used by somebody else but but then again you have an energy footprint with it and you might have chemicals in it as well so i don't know that that uh, argument really holds water what, what's your view on that uh, why other water districts well, haven't made that investment yeah like i said it's uh, i'm not judging one one that's right or wrong or one that's better or worse um and everybody's got to do things the way they see fit and the way they um, believe it to be most appropriate and most uh, economical, uh, but for us, it was a decision that um, that uh, over the course, especially over the course of the last couple of decades, um, it, it rose up. It became a front burner issue, so to speak. It, these are these are issues and problems that needed uh, a solution, and these are some of the ways that that our growers decided to solve these is just to be as efficient as efficient as you possibly can be with every drop of water. So there's um, using uh, uh, drip and micro irrigation uh, uh, in 94% of the farm farm applications there in the Westlands. It must be using uh, like satellite imagery and soil moisture monitoring and some of the NASA data and some of the technology um, that that uh, is is slowly being adopted. Uh, you have any, uh, we have we have uh, growers we have growers and companies in our district who who um, have soil probes in the ground so that they know exactly exactly the soil mo- moisture and when it comes time to irrigate they will they can they have it uh, to where they can uh, they they, uh, they can control what section of ground or what row of trees or or crop gets watered if, if it needs water and, an, and an, a, a, a section adjacent to the area that may have enough water or moisture in, in the soil won't get watered. I mean, it is it is really quite impressive. Uh, the other thing is, you know, watching a tractor, um, you know, cultivate um, or, or do work in a field um, by GPS. Um, and so you, the point you made about uh, satellite imagery or uh, things like that, yeah, we, we've got Equipment that runs via, by GPS. Uh, we've got, uh, like I said before, the, the, the highly efficient irrigation systems. Uh, anything that can be done or deployed to become more efficient has either been born, like I said in my piece last uh, last year, was born in Westlands Water District, or it's been attempted. It's been tried. Got it. So there's obviously uh, having a... Uh, uh, a wet winter, thankfully, uh, last year, and the jury's still out whether it's going to be wet again this year. But on the heels of a multiple-year drought, um, it's something that California has struggled with since the beginning of time, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, there's many ideas that 
have been thrown around to improve water uh, situation throughout the state, including water efficiency and water conveyance and using technology that will ultimately benefit not only the people of the state, but the environment and, and obviously for the farmers. Um, you know, one of those ideas that uh, Governor Brown has put forward is the water fix or twin tunnels. Um, could you perhaps give us your perspective on what that looks like to, to give our listeners a kind of a background of what the twin tunnels of the water fix is and, and what areas of the state it will affect? Sure. Um, so, first of all, most of the people in the state rely on what's called imported water, which is they, they use or consume water that comes from somewhere else. Um, and in the case, just generally speaking of California, about 80% of the rainfall and snowpack falls somewhere north of the Delta, the, Sac- Sac- um, the San Joaquin Sacramento Delta. And, of course, uh, about 70 or 80% of the demand for that water is south of the Delta. So the big question has always been for about 50 years is the movement of water from where it originates to where the demand is. And, and, it, and for 50 years or so, it's moved through the Delta through um, the, the state and the federal government both operate uh, a p- pumping plants that, that pick up water and move it, put it into the, the aqueduct that runs up parallel I-5 and, and, you know, and delivers it either to farms and communities in the Central Valley or over the grapevine into Southern California or into cities and communities in the Bay Area. The, as I mentioned earlier on the call, it's, Water is a very political issue. It's very tricky. It's very emotional. Um, and so over the course of the last 30 years or so, um, there was a, 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 new, a new water user, so to speak, added to the mix, and that was, quote-unquote, the environment. And when you add a, a new water user that takes most of the water that comes into the state, it creates uncertainty and it creates shortages for everyone else who depends on the system to operate. So I apologize for getting too far in the weeds here, but the idea on the water fix was, the, the original idea was um, on the water fix as we know it today, the tunnel project, was to take water off the Sacramento River north of the Delta and move it under the Delta and then uh, dump it into uh, the areas by the pumping plants and they could capture the water and move it into the into the aqueduct to move it into either into storage or to Southern California or wherever. Um, and the, the reason is because the Delta is a fragile ecosystem. There's a lot of water users. The whole state depends on the movement of water through the Delta. And it's, like I said before, it's created these shortages. So the idea or the law has created shortages. So the idea was, okay, how can we find a way to continue to thrive as a state continue to ensure that cities, farms, and communities have water and also protect the ecosystem in the Delta. This, the, the idea known as the water fix was, is the idea still that's being kicked around and being contemplated. It's you know, basically two big tunnels that move water from the Sacramento River down to the pumping stations for distribution around the state. Westlands has been involved in this process from the very beginning. Um, Westlands Growers have invested a lot of time, energy, and money into the planning of this project. Um, uh, but much like everything else, um, it, it really came down to when, when a decision was made by the board of directors at Westlands Water District about whether or not to participate, uh, the, the decision was made not to because uh, by our um, uh, estimation and by our modeling, the the, the, the water supply benefit did not warrant the cost that would that would come with our what would be considered our portion of construction of the project. And so I think what we said, what our general manager, Tom Birmingham, said is from the very beginning, we, we, we could not obligate our farmers to pay this amount of money uh, for water which of which the supply was uncertain even at this point. And so uh, our board of directors made a decision in December not to proceed, but, um, but obviously we're keeping a very close eye on it, and we're still in discussion with those 
entities and uh, groups that are still a part of it. Um, the, bo- the, you know, the bottom line is, as I said before, everybody in the state depends on the movement of water through the delta to survive, whether it's a school or a farm or a city or, or any, and it's the Central Valley or, or Southern California. We're all dependent on that. Um, and, and somehow or another, there needs to be either a more normal way or more normalcy restored to how the project, how the system operates currently, or another engineering structure to move water from where it originates to where it needs to go. I don't know what the prognosis is going to be. It's, um, there seems to be a lot of uncertainty at this point about the project moving forward. Um, but I know that there are proponents that are still, you know, trying to find a way to get it done. And again, that's a long way of of describing it, but that's in essence where we are. Yeah, no, that that was excellent. Yeah. But, but I but I wonder. So, I mean, the land, the farmland, is basically worthless without water. If you don't have water, your farmers aren't going to be able to be productive. And the supplies have been erratic due to multiple reasons over the last decade, and yet. And yet you're saying that um, it's just not economically feasible for you to support this project. So are, are you essentially suggesting that maybe somebody else pick up the cost or that there is a different project? Or what, what would it take for Westland to indeed support the project? I guess that's my or, question. Or a, pro- a similar project. It yeah, like it's, it's um, on the project or something like this, a, a concept like this. Uh, again, it would have to be something where our board of directors would would have to have comfort, some level of comfort in understanding what the water supply benefit would be and how much it would cost them. Um, mm-hmm. Remember, we have, you know, um, it, it, unlike, uh, I think your next guest is from Metropolitan Water District, they have millions of water users or ratepayers that they can spread the cost across to Westlands has 700 and so when you take a big piece of the pie in terms of the financing uh, piece of the pie um, and you spread it across you know 700 um, payers it becomes very very expensive in a hurry um, I, it, I, it, it, I think it's important to point out um, the the system that the state has been living under and operating under, for several decades, goes back to the time of the days of John F. Kennedy and Pat Brown. The, the projects, as they're called, just generically speaking, the projects, the state water project and the Central Valley project, the state and the federal project. These are systems that, if allowed to operate the way they were designed to operate or intended to operate, everybody gets water. The environment gets water, cities get water, farmers get water and life kind of moves on. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, things got very complicated about 30 years ago with the passage of a, of a sweeping environmental bill known as the Central Valley Project Improvement Act. And that just threw a wrench into the entire system for delivering water in California. And it created restrictions, and it created shortages, and it created um, just problems up and down the state. And so all these ideas that are being kicked around and solutions that are being contemplated and and ideas that are being discussed for financing are all because this genius of a system that was envisioned and designed by uh, our forefathers has been in many ways rendered not useless but it's just been neutered and um and it's not uh, it's not being allowed to operate as it was designed to operate and therefore it creates shortages and so I think what if you were to interview someone from from the Trump administration, for example, I think they would tell you, look, we have a system that's been working for decades. Let's let this system operate. That way people and cities and farms and communities have water. That's their position. It's In, in my opinion, it's a very reasonable position. Um, I mean, the last time I checked, people need to eat. And the last time I checked, people need water. And so... Um, yeah, I think the Trump administration's approach has been, let's see if we can get this project, this, these two projects, the Central Valley Project, to operate the way it was designed to operate. Now, 2017 was the wettest year we've ever had recorded in California. Uh, was, it set records up and down the state. Um, and so everyone had water this year. Cities, 
towns, farmers, we had a 100% allocation of water this year. We had so much water this year that came so late, we couldn't even use it all. Try to figure that that out. (laughs) So uh, that's how wet it was in 2017. But the history of California will tell you we're going to – just because we had a wet year in 17 doesn't mean it's going to be wet for the next three years or the next year. It could be bone dry this year. So then we have to decide, and the Trump administration and the water agencies and the people of the state have to decide, okay, are we going to allow the projects as we know, the Central Valley Project and the State Water Project to operate, to deliver water to people, cities, and farms, or are we going to allow for communities and farms to dry up again? I, you know, it remains to be seen what the verdict will be and what the what the uh, decision will be. But uh, what we're hearing so far from the Trump administration is they'd like to see this prod these projects operate the way they were designed to operate. And if that happens, then everybody has water. I'd like to uh, just interject for a second. This is Mike Barron uh, at our studios here in uh, Southern California, but um, I want to. Ad- uh, recommend that folks who are interested in this topic uh, visit your website, uh, Westland Water District uh, website. It has a, a lot of good information. And the one thing that struck me about its decision to not support or not vote for the Twin Tunnels project was that the investment was fairly well understood to be a certain amount, and yet there was no guarantee that there would be an availability of water because perhaps because of the various rules that affect the distribution of water in California, specifically that 1992 law that you that you mentioned. So before I realized that that was the fact, I, I thought, well, why wouldn't they support it? But if you're being asked to support something in the hundreds of millions of dollars or, or perhaps more, and you can't be assured that you're going to get any more water than you currently have, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Am I off base with that assessment? No, you you just nailed it. That's exactly that. Uh, it's like you were in the boardroom when the decisions were being made, <laughs> it's, uh, it, and it's actually it's very it, it became a very simple discussion because um, you're right. We couldn't, with any degree of certainty, really bank on how much water we could see year in year out. If we were to invest in the project, we just uh, we, we just couldn't get to a number that we felt confident with in terms of uh, quantity. And so, I mean, it's like numerator and denominator here. You've got a certain cost associated with involvement in the project, and then you have a certain amount of water. Um, and the divisors didn't work. It, it became very very expensive water, so much so that there, you know, I mean, this was said during public session of our board meeting. I mean, there's not a crop in Westland's Water District or the state that could sustain that cost of water. Not one. Yeah. And it wasn't even close. And so it became a, a fairly simple decision. Um, and um, But I, I want to reiterate, I mean, we will, Westland's Water District has for years been engaged in the public process, both with elected officials and the public, about educating them on why making sure that agriculture gets water is important to not just us, but to the state and the and the and the federal government. Um, we we have again not to toot our own horn, but you know we live in one of five Mediterranean regions in the world, and it happens to be the most um, developed and sophisticated growing region in the world. And we can grow anything here, and in many cases, other countries see what we have the potential to do in the, just in the San Joaquin Valley, the Central Valley, and they're envious of it. Um, and, and so uh, when you, it's, it, in my previous life, I'd travel all over with, with Congressman Nunes. We'd travel sometimes around the, w- the world and visit with other countries, and when we'd tell them the story about, about how the, the government lo- law, federal law, has restricted water supply to those uh, people who are growing food to feed the nation, they wouldn't believe you. <laughs> they, 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 they thought that you were making up a story. Not possible. Why? You know? Why would a government do that? I mean, it's just, it's just embarrassing. Well, Johnny, so, we're gonna. Well, there, there's more that I would want to get into, but we're uh, against a hard stop, so we're gonna have to say thank you very much, and uh, you can be assured that we'll want to invite you back sometime uh, soon because uh, there's a anytime. bigger story to tell. So thank you very much. It's very informative. I'm, thank you, John. I'm glad to be on. You guys have a good holiday. Merry thank Christmas. you. You too. Merry Christmas. You as well. Thank you, Johnny.
All right, we're going to take a little break from our uh, great sponsors of Scott's Miracle Grow and Site One, and we'll be back in a minute with the next guest. So stick around. Hey, welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone, and this week it is Ag Show, so uh, we're going to turn it back over to Ms. Inky Biskuner and Mr. Paul McFadden for their next great guest. It's all yours. Yeah, thank you, Rob. We have um, another wonderful guest here from um, the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California. So as, as Paul said, this show really highlights two of the biggest water districts in the world, one of the biggest ones for agriculture, and our next guest is representing one of the biggest ones for uh, the urban environment. Steve, are you there? Yes, I am. Yeah, Steve, thank you. And um, I, I know we're we're uh, a little shorter than we anticipated, but I'm sure we'll we'll get some uh, good conversation in here. So, Steve, by Not way of introduction, yeah, by way of introducing you to our uh, listening audience, I'd like to let them know that you are the uh, manager of the Bay Delta Initiatives Program at the Me- Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, otherwise known as MET, uh, in Los Angeles. And you've got a background of 30 years working in the water field as a civil engineer. And, um, you know, you've been working, you're responsible for the plans and activities to, quote-unquote, secure a reliable supply from the state water project through environmental and water supply improvement in the Sacramento-San Joaquin River Delta. So um, uh, I wish you luck with that because that's a, a you know, that's a tall order, as, as, as we know from uh, discussions on this show. Uh, prior you. to that, you were a manager with the Water Resource Management Group for over 10 years, and you've also worked for DWR in Sacramento, um, and you're a registered engineer. So welcome to the show, and um, Steve, tell us um, a little bit um, about your position and, and also the Mets' um, uh, recent Board of Directors' uh, decision to vote in favor of the California Water Fix, uh, which we just heard that Westlands did not vote for. So... Um, um, fill us in on your position on this. Sure. So um, Metropolitan <clears throat> serve, <clears throat> serves about 19 million people. They're a water wholesaler, and we provide water to other agencies that sell water to businesses and to residences. And Metropolitan um, serves about, like I said, 19 million people, which is about half of the state's population and about half of the state's $2 trillion economy. So it's really important to the state of California um, how Metropolitan provides reliable supply. And we've been involved in um, this uh, California water fix, or prior to that, the Bay Delta Conservation Plan, for about 10 years, uh, when under Governor Schwarzenegger, efforts uh, were underway to plan, and, and now we're you know getting to the point of finish, the plans are finished and getting to implementation of improvements to the area where the water is diverted for both the state and the federal water project. And um, it's it's really uh, an issue of um, improving and um, modernizing a system that's over 60 years old. Um, it goes back to the 1950s and 60s, and so there's really a need. Uh, there was a need identified back then to have a better system, but it's never gotten done. And Metropolitan's board has been involved in the process all along. And in October, um, it voted to support... Uh, financing its share of the project. So its share meaning it's it's part of the state water project, so paying its share of that piece and then recognizing that uh, other water users would pay their share. So that was a pretty big milestone. There's been other districts around the state, as we just, as you know, Steve, we just talked to uh, uh, Johnny Amaro from, from Westlands, and for, for their group, their board decided that to spread it out over the cost of, of investing in the water fix, the tunnel system, over those 700 water users, it was just uh, too uh, too expensive for them to move forward. Obviously, you're uh, uh, in the, Met- the Metropolitan Water District in a little different position with 19 million users. Can you kind of help us uh, understand that a little bit better in, in, in terms of how that, how that affects those 19 million users versus, say, uh, a 700... Or, or whatever the number of uh, ag producers is in the Central Valley? Sure. So um, big parts of California rely on this project, and so there's urban areas and agricultural areas. And, you know, even in the state water project system, 
um, our fellow state water project contractors also are agricultural areas. And so they, they have an interest in how we can improve the system as well. For us as an urban region, um, you know, we, we are looking to uh, strengthen the reliability of our supply. So it's mainly to protect the supply that we have so that we don't lose any further supply into the future. Um, having a better way to divert the water in the delta so that increased regulation doesn't cause that reliability to go down. Uh, when we evaluate the cost of this project, um, it ends up being very favorable compared to other more expensive options like uh, higher cost recycled water, ocean desalination, and also stormwater capture. A lot of the um, more cost-effective projects in those areas have been done. And so this project of modernizing the state project system in the Delta really does come out pretty cost-effective versus those options. Uh, to the household level, that's about two, about uh, $2 per month per household. And um, so with, with other areas, though, agricultural areas, it's a different business situation. But like I said, um, areas of Kern County are part of the state water project. And so we're working with our fellow state project contractors to try to make this project a reality because we're all looking for reliable water. And um, we're facing the risk of losing water and um, the urban areas can't get by and losing large volumes of water and neither can agriculture, particularly with uh, new laws that require the balancing of the groundwater basin. So there's really right. an, uh, a focus on trying to uh, create that stability on the state project system so that we can bring all of these supplies into balance. So it, it seems that most of the uh, water districts that are voting against this are citing costs. You know, they basically, yeah, I'm all for the project, but I don't want to pay the amount that I'm being, you know, kind of assessed. Um, and so if, 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 if that is indeed true, that it's too onerous for some of the water districts um, and, and that kills the project, that would be very, very bad for Matt, right? Um, and so I wonder if if your board of directors is considering picking up more of the cost uh, in order to make this work. Or I would ask Steve, is, are they looking at alternatives to the twin tunnels? Yeah, the, it's always been about looking at alternatives. Every five years we look at our water supply strategy and we update it and determine what's, what's the best mix of projects. And, you know, over the 25 years that we've really um, – diversified where we get our water um, as compared to earlier in our history, um, it always comes out that um, improving the state water project makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, for the most part, the Central Valley Project agricultural contractors have a challenge because of how their contracts work. They have contracts that uh, differ amongst their contractors. They have more junior contractors where their um, ability to count on the water is much more unreliable versus those that have more senior water rights. And so it's been an issue of how do they allocate the cost of this project amongst all of those that count on the water and how do you get those you know, other senior or who pays for the senior water right holders in order to make this project work. And so when you hear about discussions ongoing, that's what it's about is figure out how to come up with a strategy where um, the cost formula on the federal side is much more amenable to those that are involved. Interesting. Makes perfect sense. So I, I um, you know, a year ago, I participated in the Water Education Foundation's uh, Bay Delta tour. And Steve, I'm, I may have met you on that. I, I met your colleague, uh, uh, Lewis, on that trip. Um, and I remember going away from that, three, that it was fascinating three days. Um, just thinking how devastating it would be for the state if we had, say, an earthquake and um, that if our water supply from the Delta were, um, you know, uh, contaminated with salt water, it's affected by three and a, three and a half million acres and, and uh, 35 million people's water supply or something like that. So, I mean, it, if we don't fix this problem, it seems like the the... There's a lot in jeopardy, 
Yeah. Am I was, am I overreacting, or would you agree, or how would you um, assess what what's going to happen if we don't do anything? Yeah, I would agree strongly. Um, I think if if we don't do anything, it means that the system is susceptible to earthquakes. It's also susceptible to the sea level rise because we've seen over the last hundred years the 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 sea level that's coming. You know, the tides that are coming into the San Francisco Bay. At the Golden Gate, we've seen those tides rising, and that brings more salt water in. And the projected uh, sea level rise over the next 100 years is going to be at a much more accelerated rate. So all of those who rely on the Delta system are going to be impacted by that higher saline water. But certainly with the earthquakes, um, these levees were made over 100 years ago. Um, they weren't highly engineered. They are in better shape than they've been in the past because a lot of maintenance and upgrades have gone into them, but they are still not a perfect system. And so it's, it's not really a matter of um, if they will fail. They, they will fail at some point out into the future, and that really does put the risk of, uh, of not having water supply for a great portion of the state's population. Um, you know, that, that impacts people's lives, it impacts the economy. So uh, having a better system of diverting water in the Delta that's much more reliable, um, that avoids the um, susceptibility to the sea level rise is going to be really, really important. I said earlier, the state had recognized in the 1950s and 60s that the current diversion points were not the best solution. They've They've continued to pursue solutions, and we've been in a, you know, just a, a fifty or sixty-year process of figuring out how do we how do we move that forward. And this is the closest we've ever been. Um, all of the environmental documents have been completed and approved. The key biological um, endangered species act permits have been issued, and so the planning has been completed. Now it's the decision of funding the project and moving forward. Yeah, it just seems like we, we have to do it, and we're on the way, and now it's, you know, how to pay for it, really. And, and you know, another thing is I, I know that Matt bought some land in the Delta, one of the islands. Can you tell us a little bit about your strategy there? Yeah, so the the um, properties, there were four four different um, areas, four different what they call tractor islands that Metropolitan purchased a little bit over a year and a half ago or so, and it's... Uh, the, the strategy there was uh, there could be multiple opportunities. Um, the levees uh, along those islands are right in the middle of the central delta, and that's the corridor that transports the water through the center of the delta down to the export pump. So we care about those levees. If we had more control over that area, that could help us to more control our own destiny in terms of making sure that you know the levees were in the best shape possible. But also looking at um, are there other things that can be done to look at habitat restoration to improve the delta for the fisheries, uh, maybe improve water quality to reverse the subsidence in the delta because at the same time the sea level is rising, the farming activities and the organic soils are oxidizing and so that's making the land subside. And those two things happening at the same time, the sea level rising and the land um, basically uh, compressing, that's, that's not a good um, formula for reliability in the delta in the future. That, that causes more risk of, of failure of those levees. So our strategy was look at multiple opportunities, including two of the islands are along the alignment of the tunnel project. So that would help the state in terms of having access to two important areas that would help with the staging and the, the construction of the project if the project were to go forward. So our board deliberated over all of that over a number of months and um, approved us going forward with that purchase. Well, you know, also, kind of on a side note, it, it creates an excellent environment for all the, the uh, wildlife in the area, the waterfowl, and, and uh, certainly you mentioned the fisheries and so forth, and creates uh, keeping those uh, in, in good shape is important to the overall health of the Delta, which it has, you know, it's struggled. I think uh, we can characterize it uh, over the last uh, decade or so. It's really had had some tough times with uh, 
native species, the native species that are of the concern, have the habitat for those. So being involved in that, um, Metropolitan is pretty invested in um, contributing to the science, working alongside the key uh, fishery agencies that work on all of this, because our future is, is tied to whether we can protect the fish to improve the fish conditions. And uh, the habitat is, is one part of that. And, you know, also with the opportunity with the islands, it allows us to uh, be a part of that area to uh, work with other landowners in the area to collaborate on things, to work with other entities that have responsibilities up there to protect the Delta, to be part of the solution. So you know, the, the future of this supply for our service area is so important, and it's important to the whole state that solving these things um, is, is key, and that's why we contribute so much to that, and that's why our board supported all of that. Well, I think it also not only is important for the people of California, all people of California, but if, uh, you know, as California goes, and and, and uh, with not only agriculture, but in some of the in the urban areas where the, there's so many jobs and so much creative thing, uh, things that are being built and happening and so forth, that uh, really affects everything that does not only in the country but around the world. And they, and, I think we have a tendency to overlook that as as Californians, at least speaking for myself, we say, well, it's just affecting California, but it really doesn't. It has a rippling effect around the world. I agree with you, um, and I think that it's uh, a pretty um, it's a pretty diverse economy in California. Um, it has agriculture, but it has you know obviously all types of of, of uh, production and um, inputs into the economy that are both used in the country and exported and having a reliable water supply is where it starts. And I think we've been really fortunate um, to have over the years a uh, reliable supply of water. We've had the recent droughts that really has called into question, are we prepared for the future? And I think it's incumbent upon all of us to try to get this over the finish line to improve the system so that we can count on reliable supplies for, you know, the next hundred years. Yeah, we know from history now through Elaine uh, or Lynn Ingram's book, The West Without Water, that this is not unprecedented. We've had worse drought. We, we've developed the West during one of the nicest, wettest periods in its history these last hundred years. So we have to get prepared um, for even higher um you know, more more drought and more flood than we've experienced to date. So, so we got to well, find you know, one, Go ahead. One interesting thing on that is that um, down in our own area, we built some infrastructure to take water during shorter periods of time. Uh, if the snowpack is decreasing and it's more rainfall, to be able to take larger amounts of water at one time and to store the water and the idea of having these tunnels and the new intakes goes right along with that because the flexibility of the system provides for taking larger amounts of water when it's wet and diverting it, having um, less harm on the environment, less harm in the fisheries, and being able to store that water for dry years. So it really is a stormwater capture project, and it, it is really a way that we can adapt to anything that might happen in the future. Right, right. So, as the previous guest was alluding, and others have, that we just need to manage the system better. But do you think that we need to actually overturn uh, previous laws that were enacted in order to protect the environment, or rather, just do a better job of managing what we what we should be managing today? That that was one of my takeaways also from the tour. Uh, not only the earthquake, um, the fear of the earthquake and the levees failing, but that we just need to do a better job of uh, using the water to, for example, protect the environment and also provide uh, reliable service to the people on the farm. Yes, I think so. And I think part of uh, managing the water means understanding the science behind protecting the environment, understanding more about what's needed so that you can operate the system in a way that's beneficial. I think that in some, uh, in some areas, the regulations might be missing the mark. They, they could be more protective, um, but even provide some flexibility for water management. And I think that 
um, understanding the science and being able to formulate better management actions is a way to improve the reliability of the water supply. I, I, Steve, I got to tell you, I, I learned something tonight. Uh, I was not aware that the, the Metropolitan Water District had uh, scientists working along uh, fish and wildlife folks in the Delta preserving uh, uh, environmental fisheries in other areas. And so I'm, I have to say as a fisherman, I'm, I'm, but also as a Californian and one that consumes water, thank you very much for that. <laughs> well, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, Metropolitan does a lot of great things, the freestrictmonogam.com uh, program. And, yeah, you guys are at the forefront of water conservation, more on the urban side uh, than the agricultural. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate everything that, that you folks do, and we might need to bring you back on the show, too. I don't think we're done talking. Uh, if you're willing to in the future, I think we'd love to have you on as a guest. And, Rob, um, do you or Mike have a question? I think we have two more minutes or so. Yeah, I, I was just telling Mike we should expand the show for two hours. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, great, great guest as always. But Mike, I think yeah. Mike has one. Yeah, I was just going to ask that from Metropolitan Water District's perspective, uh, it's clear that it's it's dealing with the laws as they are. They're wanting to develop a a win win or a you know we want to protect the environment and we want to provide a reliable, adequate supply of water to Southern California. But I'm wondering if if uh, MWD has ever uh, taken a position or discussed the impact that that 1992 law regarding you know the um, you know the, the uh, state water project and then the Central Valley project water project uh, if that if if that law ever comes up in discussions in terms of is there an opportunity from MWD's perspective to maybe modify that, not without, not 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 to override completely the environmental aspects of what that law uh, has accomplished, but somehow you know, is there a sense that it's it's gone too far one way versus another? Any any thoughts on that topic? Yeah, there's there's a couple of areas that we've you know kind of been involved in over the years. One is uh, in 1992 there was the Central Valley Project Improvement Act, and that was aimed at how to uh, provide protections and how the Central Valley Project, the Federal Water Project, was operated. And we, for a number of years, we, we were involved in that, and how to implement that, uh, how to make that work in a better way. And I'm sure the federal water contractors are continuing to seek ways to, to make that work for them. On the Endangered Species Act, um, there's been, you know, a number of efforts in the past to either reform the law or to actually make it work better administratively. And Metropolitan has been involved in the past in, in its own service area and on the Colorado to really look for ways for the federal government to implement that act in a way that, that makes sense.